Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey folks, this is the Lakers Legacy Podcast, and we are proud to announce a partnership collaboration with a brand new podcast app. If you're looking for a new way to listen to podcasts that's a lot more interactive and fun, well, look no further than the cooler podcast player on the Apple Store. The app that makes sure you never miss the hottest sports talk by the cooler with like-minded fans and listeners of the same community. So download the Cooler Podcast Player on the Apple Store, search for your favorite podcast, specifically look up the Lakers Legacy Podcast, we are up there right now, subscribe to our Cooler page, click on one of our episodes, listen away, and then join the conversation by commenting away down below on each episode. Add some emojis, like the cringe emoji, because I know that I can be quite cringe. Ask us questions about specific points we made throughout a specific episode. The Cooler Podcast Player is essentially like Reddit, but curated and consolidated per podcast community so that you can join the conversation in a safer, more intimate, and less trolly space than other apps like X. And you can do so with other like-minded Lakers Legacy Podcast listeners. Also, you're likely to find one of us commenting and replying back to you guys directly within each episode feed in the comments section. So grab a drink, make your way over to the Cooler, and join the conversation now by downloading the Cooler Podcast Player app. Make sure to add the Lakers legacy to your queue, and let's keep the debates and discussions going beyond the final sign-offs you hear from us at the end of each episode. The Cooler Podcast Player. Listen, then speak your mind. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where luck of the Irish, more like sucks to be Irish, <laughs> in, a, in a fuck Boston Celtics basketball sense, that is. I'm sure it's absolutely lovely to be Irish. Anyway, Lakers beat the Celtics without AD and LeBron behind their great white hope, Austin Reeves, and all I have to say is fuck Boston. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, it has been a rocky week in Lakers land after what looked like a pretty promising incoming momentum swell with the Golden State Warriors win, capping things off. 
And in spite of that, having lost back-to-back games against the Houston Rockets and then the Atlanta Hawks and getting absolutely thrashed, things looked like they had finally hit rock bottom with news of AD and LeBron sitting out against the Celtics. But somehow, some way, the shorthanded Lakers, with their backs against the wall, pulled that win shit out of their butts. They go on the road versus the number one team in the NBA, a team that only had one home loss coming into last night. Two. And they got the god... Oh, two. Only two home <laughs> losses coming into last night. And they got the goddamn win. So, how are you feeling today? And uh, why don't you let the audience know about your viewing experience of last night's game? So I'm feeling good today. Thank you for asking. Always good to check in with each other sure. on our mental health. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> I, <laughs> exactly. I, I yeah, no, I am feeling good. It was it was a fun game to watch. I was I was talking to you before we we started recording here about how I viewed this game. I you know was obviously super annoyed coming out of the back to back, like everybody was, like getting blown out, giving up 280 points to the the Rockets and the Hawks. And like, you know, combined in consecutive games, is like embarrassing. It just felt like the team's going through the motions and wasting time. I think we all kind of felt like that, right? So I, you know, had been really busy at work. I had like a, you know, I had work commitments yesterday that required me to wake up at four o'clock in the morning, which is absurd. I was super tired around like 10 or 11 a.m., I get a text from you saying LeBron and AD are both out. And that just kind of pushed me over the edge. <laughs> so I just decided like, okay, I, I responded to you right there. And I was like, I, I'm just not going to watch this game. This is going to be the first game this season that I actually just don't watch at all. Cause I can't take it. Um, I got home from work early. I was going to take a nap. I look at the score and you know, I'm like, whatever, I'm not going to watch. Let me just look at the score. We're up by like seven in the first quarter or something. So I'm like, ah, but I'm like, I know we're going to get blown out anyway, right? So I'm like, whatever, we're still going to lose like 140 to 100 by, you know, by the time it's over. And, <laughs> and so like, I, I'm not going to wait up for this. I'm still going to take a nap. But let me just record it just in case. Um, and so I did this like, you know, if you listen to this pod, like over the course of the season, I it's rare for me to watch a game live. I usually am watching like an hour or two delayed, but usually like the same night. But this time I was like... I'll just see what happens. I probably am not going to watch this game. And and anyway, long story short, I wake up, I look at the score, I, I see we won, and I'm just like, okay, I got to watch this now. And and it was it, it actually put me in a really good mood. So it, one of the few times I was put in a good mood after uh, watching this team this year. And you had to do it for your mental health. That's funny that you say this is our mental health check-ins because indirectly it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we do we do our best to not have it overshadow this basketball thing, overshadow our personal lives, but it ends up always eking in somehow. And I was in Hawaii and still somehow, you know, the Lakers were, <laughs> you know, still overruling my life on the beach and everything. But last night, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, jokingly, some some had already put it out there that like, oh, yeah, leave it to the Lakers to lose to the Hawks and the Rockets and probably win against the Boston Celtics. I think people were joking about that with Anthony Davis and LeBron James in mind, you know, but <laughs> when we found out that they weren't playing at all, I think most people had the same reaction as you. Well, you know, fuck this. And then on top of that, there were some random rumors going on prior to the game about the Lakers maybe potentially 
wanting to trade LeBron James. And so it, people were connecting the two and saying, oh, AD and LeBron James are sitting out. It's either that rumor or maybe they're just in active revolt against the head coach. This season is lost entirely. I think I tweeted out something along those same lines, like the season is done, you know? Yeah. And then the game started. And as it went on, even even understanding that we might lose this game, there was something infectious about the collective activity, energy, effort, and buy-in that all of the guys showed right on down the line from, I think we played like eight or nine guys from, from player one all the way down to player nine. Guys were zipping around all over the court. They looked actually in sync defensively in the second half, especially, although, you know, save for some bad tracking on a shooter like Sam Hauser, that was annoying. But for the most part, they were scrapping for loose balls, fighting for offensive rebounds. I felt like the team really wore that we've got nothing to lose, let's go down swinging mentality. And they, you know, they really punched the Celtics in the mouth. And not only did they punch the Celtics in the mouth, they did so repeatedly. And this was a pretty much a near wire-to-wire win, right? I don't think the Lakers relinquished the lead after they got it. And they went up as much as 16. And even though you never felt comfortable with the Lakers' lead, because you knew Boston was going to make somewhat of a surge, the Lakers responded every single time and held them at bay. And, you know, forget no LeBron, forget no AD. I don't think the Lakers in general have had very many wire-to-wire wins like this the entire season, you know? And... Yeah, it was it was just like a lot of fun to watch these like I'll compare it to um, if you've ever seen the movie Hook with Robin Williams. This was like the Lost Boys rallying together without their Peter Pan, you know, and Austin was I don't know, I guess Austin was Rufio in this sense. And I think everyone else really found freedom in being counted out, having more opportunity, having more of a leash leading into the great locker room chemistry that this team genuinely has and wanting to push back against trade rumors and also maybe push back against their coach's misutilization of them. And it is it all just culminated in an, a really awesome win, probably one of the best wins of the season, if not the best, considering the circumstances. So um, what is? do you have anything else to say about this game? And then why don't you segue us into your play of the night if you have a play of the night? And then obviously we'll get into the nitty gritties of like players' performances and whatnot. So I don't, I don't have anything else. I'll, I'll segue into my play of the night, which I think is in a, in a vacuum, maybe not the most impressive play to people, but sort of is indicative to me of why we won this game. Because again, I kind of watch this game reverse from what I normally do. I, I normally watch games delayed, but I, I don't look at the score. I don't... You know, I don't text you. I just like wait and see what happened, you know, and then I watch it kind of fresh. I guess I'm watching it live and just two hours delayed. But um, if you just looked at the numbers, you wouldn't necessarily appreciate the full impact that D'Angelo Russell had on this game. And one of the first plays in the third quarter, I think, was super indicative of how impressive to me his actual output was. You know, simple high pick and roll with um, Jackson Hayes, like at the top of the key. And this dude gets around his man. I think he's holding like Hauser or one of those small white dudes on the, on the uh, Celtics, like kind of <laughs> on his side. And he just like off the dribble, left hand, no look, like lobs it up perfectly to Jackson Hayes for the dunk. And look, Jackson Hayes was borderline out of the NBA. I mean, at times this season, right? Like for us, this like, season, we, yeah, yeah, this season, certainly like we would see him like 
he, he, you know, he has not had a ton of reps with D'Angelo. He has not had a ton of reps in general. He's been in and out of the rotation, mostly out. There have been times where fans and others have said, like, Jackson Hayes is literally, like, unplayable. Like, we just need to get, we need to literally sign anyone else in the NBA who's a, who's a big guy to play. This is, like, a person in, in those circumstances who D'Angelo Russell just came in fresh with no practice and is throwing him, like, lobs like that. And, I mean, Jackson Hayes finished the game with 16 points and 10 rebounds and three steals, and, like, he's a huge reason why we won. And another huge reason why we won is we had someone like D'Angelo Russell who had 14 assists and one turnover. Playing with yeah. no LeBron, no AD, playing with multiple guys in the starting lineup who have not started before, playing with multiple guys off the bench, playing heavier minutes than they're used to playing. Like, it's just like 14 assists and one turnover from your starting point guard on the road in Boston is, is is something that like fans should not take for granted, but I, I know they will. So that's why I like to highlight that play in particular, just cause it's, and he had so many good passes. I mean, there were some no looks like to Rui cutting behind defenders. And I mean, there were so many, but, but that one stands out to me. Yeah, D'Angelo also had that like over the shoulder swing pass while he was driving into the lane to Austin Reeves for three that also looked like a no look pass. Yeah, he was just incredible slinging the ball last night. And I like your play because it's like a dual, you, a dual highlight of two players who really stood out last night, Jackson Hayes and D'Angelo Russell. And we will get to D'Angelo Russell later on in this episode because we, we want to give him his flowers, maybe his farewell flowers for just the incredible showing and display that he's put on the last two weeks to a month. But Along the same lines, my play of the night, I'm going to go with the um, the Jackson Hayes putback and one banker with nine minutes left in the third, where if you watch that play, he was battling for the offensive rebound against four other Celtics. It's literally just Jackson Hayes versus Porzingis, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, I forget who else, but he was scrapping and fighting. He finally got the ball, then he awkwardly flipped the layup up and got fouled. And then after that, he lets out a primal scream, and then D'Angelo Russell just pushes him in the chest and lets out a primal scream of his own. And for me, that sort of exemplified the type of catharsis that I think a lot of the Lakers players have been wanting to let out and have been looking for, and also exemplified how random, out of nowhere, and how unlikely this performance was, coming from Jackson Hayes, right? Um, But also the team as a whole pulling out this win. And so... Yeah, I think you just see, maybe we'll get into a larger discussion on this later, but you just see how important effort, vibes, and energy is because you just throw in a guy like Jackson Hayes with unbridled energy, for better or for worse, and you see the effect that it has on the team. Now, Jackson Hayes said the right thing when he was interviewed post-game about why the Lakers had this extra oomph in them, and he said, Jared Vanderbilt is the heart and soul of this team, and I think he's 100% correct. And we will get to Vando in just a second, but we're hoping Vando's okay. You know, they they said he has like a right foot sprain. We hope that doesn't bring him all the way back to ground zero. But yeah, that performance in the first half that Vando had, I felt like really trickled down to the rest of the team. And even when Vanderbilt left, you could tell the team was still channeling a lot of Vando's spirit, activity, and physicality. You know, it's almost like, Maybe they were galvanized by Vando's uh, injury in some respects. Um, but yeah, so for today's episode, I, I guess we'll we'll continue to talk more about the game if we have any other um, tidbits or things we want to throw out. We're going to highlight Austin Reeves specifically, then touch on Vando, Rui, 
And then, as I mentioned, I want to leave the second half of this show for D'Angelo because, again, I don't know if this is the last time we'll be able to talk about him as a Laker before the trade deadline finalizes next week. And I think he deserves his farewell flowers if that's what they end up being for how he has approached this last month. And of course, along the way, we'll also have some Darvin Ham venting frustrations sprinkled in as well. So, Tommy, do you have any last stray thoughts on this game? Because here are some stats that stood out to me. This is like, what, what else stood out to you about this game? The Lakers had five guys with seven-plus rebounds last night. Yeah. Do you know how insane that is? That's insane. <laughs> five guys with seven-plus rebounds. Vanderbilt had seven rebounds in just 16 minutes. Yeah. D'Angelo Russell had eight rebounds. He was boxing Drew Holiday out and fighting for boards. Do you know how insane that is? Yeah. Rui Hachimura had eight rebounds and was scrapping and fighting and defending and moving his feet on the floor. D'Lo, Rui, Prince all had eight rebounds. That is how you know the activity and engagement was there. The other thing that stood out to me, Tommy, and this is very low-hanging fruit, but apparently playing your best guys works. Guess who closed out the fourth quarter, held the Celtics at bay, hit big shots, made big plays? It was Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura. I mean, look, I'll give Darvin Ham credit for starting Jackson Hayes, um, but Torian Prince still getting 37 minutes. I know it was out of necessity, but Max Christie was playing well. He could use more minutes. Rui still played less than Torian Prince. Um, and Torian Prince was doing some weird-ass Leroy Jenkins stuff last night, man, going like... <laughs> He was taking guys off the dribble, like three guys off the dribble and turning the ball over, trying to get fouls. And I was just like, oh my God, what is going on? He played solidly at the end of the day, but I think you guys all remember, I think it was at the end of the first half, like there was 23 seconds left on the shot clock. Torian Prince gets the ball at the three-point line and he attacks the closeout with like 22 seconds left. He, of course, doesn't get the foul call. The Celtics take it all the way the other end and they get two points out of that and the Lakers lead, whether it was at the end of the first or the end of the first half, is cut to like two points, you know? And that was the kind of like dumbassery that Torian Prince was showing last night and I knew every single time that Darvin Ham wouldn't hold him accountable. So sorry for going on that little tangent, but I guess my, my, my main point is Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, these are three guys who have had their minutes and role jostled about the entire season. What happens when you give them the minutes they deserve, the leash that they deserve to find a rhythm? Apparently, they can beat the Boston Celtics on the road, Tommy. What else stood out to you about this game? (laughs) Yeah, I, I just think the overall effort and the way that the guys sort of rallied around each other was nice to see. One of the few times we've seen it this season. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's frustrating in some ways because we've said the entire season, like the whole point of having depth is we, you know who your top two guys are. That that's like the beauty of having like the stars, right? It's like, you know, you have LeBron, you know, you have AD, you don't have like 20 other guys like fighting for who's going to be number one, who's going to like be, you know, number one, a number one B you already know you have those guys. You already know you have like D'Angelo Russell, who's a former all-star who can score and, and play, make and do a lot of things that you need. You already know you have Austin Reeves, who's like a young up and coming player who, you know, has some talent and, and can score and, and do some, some other things, you know, put pressure on the rim and do some other things you need. Everybody else from the very beginning of the season 
should have been used situationally to play to their strengths. And for some reason, we just put our head down and continued to charge through with like these predefined roles. Torian Prince, he's a starting small forward, so of course he's going to play at least 30 minutes every night. You know, Jared Vanderbilt, oh, he's just like a situational defender, so we'll give him 15. Like Rui, like, well, I don't know, three years ago he wasn't a good defender, so I guess he's not supposed to play more than 19. You know what I mean? It's just like very it's all felt like very very silly um and and it was almost like a culmination of the silliness it's like oh actually when you play the guys who are your better players you play Rui 33 minutes plus you start Vando uh, understanding that like he got hurt and had to come out but like you give your minutes to like the guys who are playing well and playing hard and the guys you invested in and and these are the results you get and I think it it also sort of highlights you know, maybe some of these guys need to be a little bit more clearly defined in what their roles are, like, when LeBron and AD are playing. Like, it's nice that we got to see the aggressive Austin who is hitting shots. Perhaps somebody should have a conversation with this guy and ask him, like, why it seems like he's able to do that when LeBron and AD don't play. Because he's done that in other games when LeBron and AD haven't played too, right? And, like, mm-hmm. what's happening to that aggressiveness when those guys are playing? And, and slash, like... When those guys are playing, maybe you're not going to get 18 shots like you did last night. Maybe you're not going to get 10 attempts from three, and maybe that plays into your offensive rhythm. But how can you channel some of your, you know, some of that aggressiveness into like other areas, like playmaking, playing defense, and and so it's like in a way frustrating that we we just it we've said it multiple times. It feels like this team's output is less than the sum of its individual parts. And that's just, that can't, that can't be the case. Like a coach, all you ask for, like ideally you get someone who elevates the collective over the sum of the individual pieces. That's the ideal. We're just asking for someone who just takes the end of, like if, if all of these guys are a five and in the starting lineup, I want someone to at least give me a 25 output. You know what I mean? At minimum, I don't want to take five fives and make it at 15. That that and that's what we've been getting with with Darvin Ham this season. And well, to illustrate that point further, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some stats your way, and you tell me what your impression is of if I had told you these players were putting up these numbers at the beginning of the season, what type of record we would have, right? So Anthony Davis, 25 points, 12 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 1.2 steals, 2.3 blocks. That's pretty amazing. LeBron James, 25 points, 7 assists, 7 rebounds, 1.3 steals, shooting 39% from 3, hitting 2.23s a game. Amazing. D'Angelo Russell, 17 points again, 6 threes, 1 steal, half a block, 47% from the field, 42% from 3, hitting 2.63s a game. Incredible. Austin Reeves, okay, maybe not the 18-point scorer you wanted or thought you were going to get this season, but look, 15.5 points, 5.2 rebounds, 4... Uh, 5.2 assists, 4 rebounds, 49% from the field, 36% from 3. Ooh, Rui Hachimura, can he sustain that outlier, fluky 3-point shooting from the playoffs? 11 points, uh, 3.6 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 0.8 steals on 49% from the field, 39% from 3, hitting 1.2 a game in only 23 minutes. Tommy, if I showed you the, those stat lines at the beginning of the year, what would you have thought our record would be this season? Oh, I would have thought we would have easily been the top four. <laughs> top four exactly. Yeah. This is like this is the perfect example of the individual parts not being able to come together yeah. to make a greater whole, you know? And 
e even looking at this most recent stretch, we're like, Tommy, we needed D'Angelo Russell to be a 27.7 assist player for us to go eight and six. Yeah. That is a problem. Yeah. Okay, and I, I don't want to go into a tangent about Darvin Ham, but that is just, you know, us saying that it has taken us so long to get to the most commonplace sense. And I don't even know if we're there yet, you know, because... It, Anthony Davis and LeBron James were out. So we're not sure what Darvin Ham would have done if they had played. And last night, you know, Vanderbilt starting, you know, Vanderbilt starting with the, with last year's group that went to the Western Conference Finals, that has been a topic of heavy non-debate, Tommy, because everyone and their moms has been saying to start that group and start Vando and to go bigger, to play really more minutes, play Prince less, pair one of the combo guards up with a physical two and another forward. And I felt like last night the team was an active revolt against their coach in saying, we have been asking for a chance to show you what continuity looks like. We have been asking for a chance to show you that we are a good group of guys who in, who genuinely enjoy each other's presence on and off the court. And when we get to play together in the right lineups that make sense, this is what you can get. Vando's energy, his physicality, all those strips, all those rebounds. Again, seven rebounds in 16 minutes is insane. Um, can you explain to me why? And, and, I, and I say they're an active revolt, Tommy, because you saw the two prior games before that. I feel like we saw a subconscious letdown from the team outside of the fact that they had very tired legs after a double overtime win against the Golden State Warriors the weekend prior. But... I think you saw the letdown in those two games of a team that had thought that they had made it very apparently clear to their coach that Vanderbilt is the answer, considering he played 40 minutes against the Golden State Warriors next to D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves, and that group closed the final, I don't know, what is it, the final 22 minutes of the game? And I think in the Golden State Warriors game, Vando had like a plus 22 and Torian Prince had a minus 18. Mm -hmm. I think after that Golden State Warriors game, when the entire team saw that Darvin Ham would not budge and he was going to go ahead and trot out the same goddamn starting lineup with Torian Prince, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell, I think they collect collectively let a, a subconscious sigh like, uh, well, whatever, you know? And so last night, I feel like we saw everybody just like, everybody with no fucks to give anymore, uh, I don't know if it's an active revolt. I don't know if it was an active revolt against Darvin Ham or whatnot. Maybe it was just to prove something to themselves. But it's just been so abundantly clear what works and what doesn't for this team. And I just hope that things change when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are back. And you made a good point that, you know, AD and LeBron sitting out, it may actually have some... I don't know if you were making this point, but I'm going to finish that point. But... Them sitting out, I hope that they were able to see something in their own role players, you know, of how it's it seems silly to say, like, how can Anthony Davis and LeBron James fit in? But maybe they've been so caught up in. What am I trying to say here? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I just I just feel like maybe seeing their teammates in this light gives them a new perspective on how they can continue to amplify these guys, you know? Because if the coach isn't going to do it for them, maybe LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the court can continue to find ways to keep Austin Reeves involved, keep D'Angelo Russell involved. Maybe we should play more pick and roll with Jackson Hayes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so maybe there's a, a silver lining to LeBron James and AD sitting out 
outside of the obvious fact that they won the game. Um, do you have anything else to say about this game or that point? I think what you're trying to express, which, you know, most of us feel is just, it, it doesn't feel like there's been a lot of common sense. And I think the frustration, at least with me, and it sort of was the same thing with the Rust team, right? It's like, there's so much misdirection happening between fans, between the media, like uh, with the coaching staff, like about what actually the problem is, right? And here we all sit around for, you know, 16 hours a day on Twitter, like, you know, going back and forth at one another about which player is marginally better than like which other player. And for some reason, everybody, but, but like on the other hand, everybody ignores the fact that like, we've been playing, we've been giving significant minutes to like fifth guys next to like our top four players who are miles worse. I mean, we're not talking about like, oh, well, Torian Prince has a net rating of plus one and Jared Vanderbilt has a a net rating with that, with that four man group of a plus two. Like we're not talking about those types of margins. We're talking about like Cam Reddish with those four guys is a minus 20 and Jared Vanderbilt is a plus 30. Like we're talking about huge, like, like, like game shifting, like season shifting types of mistakes that are being made with the coaches, right? Like I, I, you know, again, small sample size, the, the, the starting five that took us to the Western conference finals last year is I think 98th percentile net rating or sorry, defensive rating. Okay. This season, the starting or like the lineup, the five man lineups that we are giving the most minutes to are, I are all like, you know, 30%. You know, thirtieth percentile defensive groups, mm-hmm. and and I that's the frustrating thing. You know, and and you know, to your point, it's like it, it's almost we beat the Warriors, we went out against the Rockets, and we were tired, and maybe we could have penciled in a loss. But there's being tired and coming up short on your shots, and there's not even trying. And we gave up nearly two hundred eighty points in two games, both of which were regulation. Like that's just not trying. You know, so the team, it's like you can't just expect that a team is going to, you know, ignore all of these things that are happening and play up against this huge handicap every single night and expect them to come in with the same effort every single night, knowing that they have to overcome this huge handicap. I mean, again, the Celtics, lovely game, great to win it. Torian Prince played 38 minutes and was a minus nine. Now to play 38 (laughs) minutes and be a minus nine in a game that your team won by nine is, is like, we need to just pause and appreciate how insane that is. What that stat means is in the 10 minutes of a 48 minute game, the Torian Prince was off the court. Our team was a plus 18 in 10 minutes against the against the number one seed like championship favorite Boston Celtics we were a plus 18 in 10 minutes when Torian Prince was off the floor these are the types of handicaps that like we should not have to be dealing with like and again it gets and and just to bring it back to my first point like you it's like you can't say these types of things without people saying like well we're not going to be good enough anyway you know i think the championship or bust kind of mindset has confused some people, right? Because championship or bust doesn't mean I want to be the number one seed or I want to be the number 15 seed. That that's a championship is not a regular season trophy. You have to get there. Okay. So like there is actually a you know there is actually a benefit 
to being a number four seed versus being a number nine seed. Those aren't the same thing. Okay, so championship or bus is inconsistent with, with that kind of mindset of, well, if we're not number one at the end of 82 games, then there's no point in even trying. That's not what championship or bus is. You have to put yourself in a position to have success and to, you know, give yourself a chance. And if Le- if you were telling me that you have LeBron, you have AD, you have the depth that we have, and they're going into the postseason with home court advantage in the first round, I don't understand how that's inconsistent with championship or bust. That sounds like you're going for a championship. But for some reason, we get all of this debate about, like, is Rui a good enough player to be like, you're, you know, you're, you're but it's like, that's not like we're, we're nitpicking role players we're nitpicking players who are supposed to be around the the margins and ignoring the fact that we are like giving significant minutes to guys who are terrible with our groups yes there's a process to the whole getting to the championship that people seem to forget and when the going gets tough or rough they're like just insert and plug and play new players who are quote-unquote better as if those players won't be under the same constraints that these current players were, i.e. the head coach who has no idea what he's doing, right? And so you said handicap. I say handicap. Ayo. Um, But why don't we take it to break here because I have lost my train of thought. And when we we return, let's talk about Austin Reeves and then get to D'Angelo Russell. So we will catch you guys after the turn. All right, so we are back. Tommy, let's talk about Austin Reeves, the return of his hymnness. Prior to the Hawks game, Reeves had shot 9 of 31 from 3, 29%. The last two the last two games, buoyed by his 7 of 10 performance last night from 3, in which he needed to carry a passport in his pocket because that ball of his was traveling such far distances, Austin Reeves is now 10 of 18 from 3 in his last two games. Prior to the Hawks game, no other non-LeBron AD D'Lo player had scored 27 points. That game, AR scored 28 points. Prior to the Celtics game, obviously no other non-LBJ, AD, D'Lo player on the team had scored 30 points. Last night, Austin Reeves scored 32 points. We have been waiting for a him game like this from Austin all season long. Has he had his moments? Yes. But at least for me, I've been looking for that staple when LeBron James is out, when Anthony Davis is out, when D'Lo is out. Will Austin Reeves step up? That staple Austin Reeves him game where he takes the reins and he plays a complete 48 minutes. Now, has he had contextual factors that may have impeded him from being that type of player? Yes, but last night, he the stage was set for him to rise and boy, did he rise. So what are your thoughts on Austin Reeves and is this a good sign of things to come? Has he found his mojo? You touched on it a little bit earlier in the episode. Now we're going to have to rejigger things to make sure that he doesn't get lost in the thick of things. Like, I feel like we toggle back and forth with D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves of having the same problems with regards to not giving each player the requisite rhythm that they need to get going. And last night was kind of like a maybe a good example and maybe the Golden State Warriors game as well when we had like four players with 20 plus points. Maybe those two games are good examples of how each can work but again it's it again it goes back to the point of if you want Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell to work then you need to put the defense around them to to make them work you know so your thoughts on Austin Reeves and whether or not this is a a good sign of things to come 
So when we drafted D'Angelo Russell, right, people remember we had Jordan Clarkson on the team, and and part of what we were envisioning was this, like, new wave, new new NBA type of backcourt where, you know, of course, D'Angelo needed some time to develop. Even Clarkson at that time was a young player and needed a lot more time to get to where he eventually got. But what we were envisioning was ultimately something like what we're seeing with D'Lo and AR, right? Like, two guys who any given night... One of them can drop 25 plus, right? And one of them can get 10 plus assists. And the beauty is it doesn't have to be the same person doing one or the other. You could have one night where D'Lo comes in and drops 35 and Austin gets gives you double digit assists. You could have a game where Austin comes in and gives you 25 and hits, you know, a bunch of threes and D'Lo gives you 14 assists on one turnover. That was always the point of this. Now, neither of these guys are elite defenders. So, you know, and beyond, by the way, not being necessarily elite defenders, because I think that both of them have a place as like decent enough team defenders. Um, but you know, you're not getting the perimeter lockdown. You're you know type of guy. None, neither of these guys is Mike Conley. Neither of these guys is Dylan Brooks. Like they're at best average defenders. So to your point. You need to put someone who has foot speed out there because D'Lo, again, is he the worst defender in the NBA? No, but he's slow. Austin, worst defender in the NBA? Actually, surprisingly, maybe surprisingly to most people, like he is worse than D'Lo. He's like, when you look at the numbers, understanding it's not all his fault. We're talking about like Trey Young level, like bad defense this season, right? Yeah. Um, but again, it's a foot speed thing. You can't put this dude out there against Steph Curry and be like, good, good luck. Like, that's just, that's silly, right? So it's like, if you're going to have the offense between Austin and D'Lo, you're going to have AD and LeBron or your fixes in the lineup. Like, the fifth guy better be a perimeter defender, and it better be a guy who can chase people. And, you know, clearly we have some recognition that that's important because you know, when you look back to the Western Conference Finals and the decision to start three guards, like, with that Jamal Murray lineup, like, it's obviously something that the coaches recognize that, like, whether or not, you know, again, to my point earlier about the fans nitpicking, we're not nitpicking, like, we we, we can't be nitpicking amongst ourselves who's technically a better defender between D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. What we should just be accepting is that, like, you know, you can win games with both of those guys. You just have to balance the rest of the lineup. And that's the yeah. that's the thing that gets lost, right? It's like you get into these debates with people and everybody just falls back on like, well, yeah, if we want any chance of winning, we better be starting LeBron, AD, Jared Vanderbilt, Alex Caruso, and Dylan Brooks. Otherwise, we're going to have like no chance. Like if we don't start four all NBA first team defensive guys, we're not going to have a good defense. How could we think that Rob Polinka doesn't know how to build a team? Like these are like silly side debates that we're getting into and like nobody is just ignoring the fact that like we do have pieces that can work you just have to put them together like Torian is a balanced player who a balanced role player I think that's the most fair thing you can say about him he's not the most elite defender Mm -hmm. he's not the most elite shooter but he does both of those things pretty well you know what he doesn't do well play 38 minutes a game (laughs) okay he's never done that (laughs) his whole career and we're for some reason asking him to do that so like these are the the frustrating things that continue to pop up because it's like you want to appreciate Austin's output you want to appreciate D'Lo's output in games like this and this is what we should be getting for an 82 game season any given night one of these two guys 
can get you 10 plus assists. One of these two guys can get you 30 plus points. And they might have nights where they both explode and then LeBron and AD play 20 minutes. So, but we, we haven't been able to enjoy the benefit of any of that because we play these guys with thirds who are not doing what they need to be doing next to these, these two, um, these two uh, like high powered guards for us. Yeah. And so I think the most encouraging thing for me about Austin Reeves game last night was he was able to increase the offensive output. And one thing that he's been struggling with recently, as I intimated at to start this segment was he hasn't been hitting his catch and shoot threes. You know, last night he was bombing this thing from like 38 feet continually. And then on top of that, he was still playing really hard on defense. You know, he's really scrapping out there still. So it's almost like we got the best of both worlds, Austin, from, you know, the regular season last year where he was still that connective piece and doing the little things. But we also got the I'm him Austin Reeves from the playoffs. And we were able to see that full culmination of HBK last night, which was what I was most encouraged by. And would you agree with me that this is probably the first, not only because he scored the most points, not only because he hit seven threes, but would you agree with me that this is the most I'm him Austin Reeves game of the season? Because prior to this, Tommy, you'd be surprised at the Lakers' record whenever Austin Reeves scores 20-plus points. Yeah, uh, I, The Lakers were 2 of 13 whenever Austin Reeves scores 20-plus points. You know, And this was the first night where it's like Austin Reeves had control of the game and he was doing the little things as well, and the Lakers won handily. Yeah, yeah. And again, it gets back into... Who is telling these people like what their role is supposed to be and you know what we're expecting from them any given night because Austin had a really nice January he played I think we played 16 games it was a packed month you know he shot 50% from the field of course he needs to improve the three point shooting but he averaged 16 and 6 like on paper that's a solid month it's just the problem is like to your point it just feels like every given night he doesn't have a sense of what he's supposed to be doing. Like sometimes he gets you 12 assists, but he's forcing it. And we lose, I'm looking at his numbers. Like we, we got, you know, Memphis beat the crap out of us at home early in the, early in the, uh, in the month here. And Austin had 12 assists and only one turnover, but we lost by 15, you know? So it's like, maybe we needed him to score more that night. Maybe we needed him to play a little bit better defense, defense that night, but it just feels like, this whole season has been so up and down and it honestly is the same story as what we saw last season. It's just, we, we have the big distraction of Russ. So it's like people ignored it. Yeah, I agree. And I think we even saw it in the last two games versus the Rockets in Houston where Tommy, what was working in the Lakers run over the last two weeks, what was working was give D'Angelo Russell the ball, let him run, pick and roll, let him score, let him pass. And then for some reason, Austin Reeves had the ball and he was manning his own units again the last two games. Maybe it was to lead up to this great game against the Celtics, but you saw why Austin Reeves was freed up to just score, right? It's because D'Angelo Russell was playmaking and getting 14 assists and he was the point guard. You know what I mean? But against the Hawks and against the Rockets, it was like we went back, we reverted back to what we were, we reverted back to trying to make Austin Reeves farmer man's Tyler hero, as you call him, you know, like, um, and it, it just, it didn't work out. We got 28 points from Austin and we got blown out, you know, but last night when Austin Reeves has a, an actual point guard next to him, it all seems to work out, which is a perfect segue into Mr. D'Angelo Russell. And I think what the team showed last night against the Boston Celtics that type of mentality, that type of fight, D'Angelo Russell has exemplified that spirit the last two weeks to a month 
the this back against the wall, never say die, I'm going to go down swinging and emptying the clip mentality that I think has actually been so infectious for this team because a lot of the guys in this locker room really like D'Angelo Russell. He's a locker room leader, surprisingly, on this team, you know? And so D'Angelo Russell over his last eight games, or sorry, over his last 11 games, is averaging 24.4 points, 47% from the field, 49% from three, knocking down 4.33s a game, 6.8 assists, He was a Western Conference Player of the Week nominee last week. He's hitting big shots left and right, including versus Golden State in the double overtime win after turning the ball over several times. He hits the go-ahead last made field goal for the Lakers in that game. Last night, he hits that dagger three where the Lakers were only up by nine points with three minutes left. He hits the dagger three on the right wing to put the Lakers up by 12 and they never look back. So people always ask why we cover D'Angelo Russell so much and if we're just D'Angelo Russell stands or whatever. And honestly, it, it's like, no, D'Angelo Russell is the third best player on this team. And no one has seemed to recognize that until recently when he's made it so blatantly apparent by going on this run of seven straight 20 plus point games. When I say D'Angelo Russell is the third best player on the team, that does not mean I say D'Angelo Russell is the third most important or coveted player on this team because Austin Reeves could fit that bill given his contract situation, given that he's like two years younger than D'Angelo Russell, given that they're more invested in him, and given that Austin Reeves may have a higher ceiling than D'Angelo Russell. I'm saying in the here and now, the veteran point guard who has been a former all-star is the third best player on the team. So the reason why we gravitate towards D'Angelo Russell so much is because He's so polarizing, his game is so misunderstood that, at least for me, I always feel the need to extra contextualize his efforts to people because it doesn't seem to sink in until it's made so evident. And now we are at the brink of maybe D'Angelo Russell leaving the team again and people failing to recognize his efforts, you know? And I just don't want that to be the case for this fan base. I know it's been very apparent that this dude has tried, he's responded well and all that stuff, but... It shouldn't have needed to get to this point for people to finally appreciate D'Lo, you know? Um, And again, there was a point where he was getting played 17 minutes a game and the coach and fans were scapegoating him like he was Russell Westbrook in spite of the fact that if you looked at the numbers, he had the best net rating and lineup numbers on the team, you know? And so for me, again, the reason why we cover D'Angelo Russell so much is because he has been a huge pivot point and swing card for the team this season. And you've seen what happens when he's given the usage, given the minutes, and given the leash to gain a rhythm, and obviously given the ball. The team just does better, and that's why we talk about D'Lo so much. And and now I just want to talk talk about him because in this last stretch, it's been, I don't know, for me, inspiring to watch him play. He's displayed that Mamba mentality that last month that so many people sort of glorify. And these are important games that the Lakers need to win. And he's doing this with his name constantly in the headlines, with fans throwing him under the bus, DeJounte Murray this, DeJounte Murray that. And for the most part, save for one game against the Atlanta Hawks, against DeJounte Murray, ironically, save for one game, he has responded each and every time, even when he struggled shooting. Like, just look at the... How many highlight plays has D'Angelo Russell had in 2024 alone? He had that bounce pass off the ground, that lob pass to LeBron James, which was insane against Portland. In that same game, he had the wraparound fake pass to LeBron into the layup. We had him blocking the hell out of James Harden head on when James Harden was trying to dunk. I mean, that's insane. 
Um, he hit eight threes against Chicago, including that one three where he was drifting to the right against two defenders that had the Lakers bench all up in arms and Christian Wood holding his head with his two hands in disbelief. He obviously had that go-ahead game-winning three versus Golden State in double overtime, even after he had turned the ball over three times. I feel like that is, again, a snapshot of D'Angelo Russell's season, his ability to bounce back, his ability to fight through all of this noise. And then, of course, last night, the insane display of playmaking mastery against Boston, the clutch three in the fourth that he hit to really put the Lakers' lead out of reach. What are your thoughts on D'Angelo Russell? Because we haven't had a chance to talk about his last run that even outside of the numbers, considering that we were so close, like we were we were trading this guy every single day, you know? And if you compare that to how Russell, I don't, want, I don't really want to go the Russell Westbrook route, but if you make that comparison of how Russell Westbrook responded to these rumors, these allegations, it was always about pointing the finger to other people, pointing the finger to Frank Vogel, pointing the finger to not getting the role and usage that he wanted. But D'Angelo Russell, yes, he did that subtextually in some ways, but he responded in the exact right way, maintained professionalism even when he was only getting 17 minutes a game. And when he finally got the chance to show who he was once again, he took that shit by the throat and never looked back. So your thoughts on D'Angelo Russell in this recent stretch? Well, he's been absolutely incredible. I think there's there's no denying that. And I think... You know, again, the problem with D'Lo from the beginning in terms of the season, meaning the beginning of the season and how we managed him, it's just been pathetic. I, I, I don't really have a better word for that. I mean, we can da- we can dance around this, the topic and, and we can say like, oh, well, you know, he's I feel like the, the problem is right. And I'm sure you feel this, too, because you're the one who manages the Twitter account. But everything you post, like people just kind of take it as like, oh, we're such big D'Lo stands and D'Lo homers and like. Look, do we like D'Angelo? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I like him any more than a lot of the other players on the team, but I just like he's he's on the team and we support him. And he, of course, was like one of our first high picks when from when we first started doing this podcast. So maybe yeah. there's some nostalgia there. But you know, he's also just a good player. I mean, like like Dejounte Murray, who everybody's getting all crazy about this year for some reason, is averaging 21 and a half points as the number two option on one of the worst teams in the NBA. So these are empty, completely empty stats. Okay, and he is averaging 21 points as the number two option. D'Lo, who has been like at best number three, and I say at best because at times he's been number four, number five, number six on this on this team for some reason, yes. you know, is average, averaging 17 points a game. You know DeJounte takes four more shots per game than D'Angelo Russell. If D'Angelo Russell was taking 18 shots a game as opposed to 13, how many points would he be scoring for us? Like, these are things yeah. that people just gloss over. D'Angelo Russell is taking six threes a game, shooting 42%. DeJounte Murray is a career 34% three-point shooter who's taking six threes a game this year. Why? Instead of instead of saying, like, oh, we want DeJounte, he's, he's not a bad shooter, 38%. Why are we not saying, how is D'Angelo Russell, who's shooting 42%, taking the same amount of threes as DeJounte Murray, who's a career 34% three-point shooter? How is that possible? How is that going to translate when you get these guys on, on, on onto this roster, right? It's like there's some element of, like, the grass is always greener. And I think D'Lo is just, like, an easy target. Because he's got like this sort of history of not being, you know, you just look at him on the court, he has fun. And for some reason, those like people who tend to have like people who have fun on the court are just like, 
develop these reputations for not being serious. And then it's like you get DeJounte who's like playing pickup summer ball and like hitting people in the head with the basketball and everyone's like, oh my God, look how <laughs> serious he is. It's just like silly stuff. And it is. And then you see the way that DeJounte Murray responds to having his role thrashed about. And I'm, and I'm not saying that he's not warranted in having those complaints, right? But it is exactly that mentality of grass is always greener. And, and, and not even let's not even talk about DeJounte Murray, Tommy. Let's talk about guys like Terry Rozier, Tyus Jones, Colin Sexton. These were all guys that Lakers fans wanted over D'Angelo Russell just three weeks ago, you know? And I always, I, it's a joke that I always put out on Twitter, but D'Angelo Russell just has the worst PR team possible. If Terry Rozier is getting all these headlines for making the Miami Heat now a contending team once again, and the Miami Heat needing to give up a first-round pick to get him while the Lakers have to attach a first-round pick to D'Angelo Russell just to offload him, you know? Um, so these are the reasons why we feel the need to defend and contextualize this player. If everybody was on board with D'Angelo Russell and saying, why is this guy not getting the minutes he deserves from the beginning, I don't think we'd feel the need to actually defend this guy. But it, it's taken so long to get to this point. And e even now, Tommy... Even with the stretch that he's had, I saw responses right after that Hawks game where people were like, man, D'Angelo Russell, he's just so inconsistent, you know? <laughs> it's just like crazy, just so dude. And, and like, this is why, by the way, can I just say, um, I just want to give a public appreciation for my boy Jonathan for handling our Twitter account because I could not deal with the types of crazy responses that I see people sending you on there. Um, it's just like, it's crazy that we have to be so defensive of some guy that like, is he inconsistent? Yeah, he's inconsistent in the sense that, like, most role players are, but, like, like most non-superstars are. And, by the way, there are some superstar superstars that are very inconsistent, too, but, like... Yeah, have you, you know, seen Bradley Beal as a third guy on the yeah, exactly. Heat? Exactly. Like, D'Lo... putting as, up the same damn stats. Exactly. In fact, I would, I would take D'Lo over the numbers that I've seen, <laughs> yes. like, Bradley Beal putting up this year, right? So, like... You just like, yes, guys are going to be up and down. Austin's going to be up and down. Delo's going to be up and down. Rui's going to be up and down. Since when was the standard that one of these guys has to be like, you know, a top 15 player in the NBA or else we can't win? It's it's just like crazy how the goalposts like always shift for for these types of guys. Yeah, And every game, you 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 know who the Delo skeptics are, right? Because every game, they always have two buttons they can press, Tommy. It's if D'Angelo's doing well, they're like, is it against a bad team? Oh, he's doing it a bad he's doing it against a bad team. This doesn't count. If he's doing well against a good team, he's gonna wilt in the playoffs anyways. He can do this in the regular season, but he can't do this in the playoffs, right? And so every step along the way, you just see people cling on to these lazy ass narratives that somehow cover blanket cover an entire player's season. When th this narrative that D'Angelo Russell does not show up in big games and only, and doesn't make shots when it matters. Tommy, do you know that D'Angelo Russell is in like the top eight field goal percentage in fourth quarter prior to him coming to the Lakers? Like people just don't, people just ignore these factual stats, you know, because of what they've seen in half a year of D'Angelo Russell, Okay. And they stick with them. Oh, D'Angelo Russell is not a playoff player. He can't play in the playoffs. It's like D'Angelo Russell has only played five series of playoff games in his career, okay? 
The first one was with the Brooklyn Nets, which he led on his own, and they actually upset the Joel Embiid Sixers in Game 1 and won that game. That was his all-star season. His second season in the playoffs was with the Minnesota Timberwolves, their best non-Jimmy Butler season, okay? Did he falter against the Memphis Grizzlies? Yes, he did, but they actually got to the first round of the playoffs after not having gotten there since Jimmy Butler left. And the, a big reason for that was D'Angelo Russell. He had a tremendous play-in game against the Clippers, I believe. That was the game where Patrick Beverly stood up on the yeah. <laughs> stood up on the stanchion or whatever and threw his shirt into the stands. And it's because D'Angelo Russell had 29 points in that play-in game, okay? So those are his first two playoff series. Where is this narrative coming from that D'Angelo Russell can't play in the playoffs? Because his next two playoff series after that was against that same Memphis Grizzlies team where he was legitimately the Lakers' third best player. And then the next series after that was against the Golden State Warriors where he had some big moments and hit some big shots. We're talking about one series against the Denver Nuggets where he went 0 for 4, where the Lakers got swept 0 for 4, while people... Fail to forget, Tommy, that somehow Dennis Schroeder also only had seven points in that series. Yeah. And for some reason, people hold Dennis Schroeder to a higher regard and would swap the two in, in an instant. Yeah, and like Dennis Schroeder was in the starting lineup to be primarily responsible for guarding Jamal Murray, who ended up scoring 35 a night on like 80% <laughs> shooting against us. You know, so like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you look at DeJounte, you look at D'Lo, they both like DeJounte has appeared in 21 playoff games. His averages are 10 4 3 on 42% shooting. It's just like, you know, and again, like DeJounte in the playoffs last year put up big numbers 23. Seven and seven on forty five. They got swept, shooting. right? Or they like lost? They, in they five lost or four something. to one. So it, it, like they weren't even close, right? So it's like you know he's putting up numbers on losing teams. Meanwhile, D'Lo was the starting point guard for a team that made it to the Western Conference Finals. He started fifteen playoff games last year. Like, yeah, again, you can we can sit around nitpicking who was technically more valuable for us in the Warriors series, who was technically more valuable for us in the, in the Memphis series, like between D'Lo and, and Schroeder in, in a vacuum. And, but people get so bogged down in this stuff. They forget the bigger picture. And I think, I think that's the problem. We have not had a guard put up the types of numbers. Like if, if here we are 48 games into a season or 50 games into a season, D'Lo has played 46 that's that in and of itself with this roster and this organization should like mean something to people like Delo's on pace to playing well over 70, hopefully over 75 games this season. And he's averaging 17 and six highest assist to turnover ratio in the, you know, in like his career. Um, if shooting 42% from three, doing everything we needed him to, to do. And we're was ho- or kind of, we're hoping that he'd be able to do this year and he's still getting, this kind of reaction. It just makes no sense. You know, I, I think I think the problem is people want D'Angelo Russell to be the guy he was on the Golden State Warriors when he averaged 23.6 points and six assists, or they want him to be that guy who first got to Minnesota and averaged 21.7 points and 6.6 assists, right? They want him to be consistent in that way. But Tommy, he is the third option, sometimes the fourth option on this team. There's just no objective way he's going to be able to put up those numbers. If he is putting up those numbers, Tommy, we're probably not a very good team. So what would you rather have? D'Angelo Russell, who's averaging 17 17 points and six assists, who you know fits around LeBron James and AD if you utilize him correctly, who you know fits around Austin Reeves if you give him another forward to flank those two with, who you know the locker room actually likes, 
you know, so it's just, I think fans just are a little caught in the mud here and too caught caught up in the weeds that it, it, it just sucks that we likely will be saying goodbye to D'Angelo Russell again. I don't want to say likely, but, you know, maybe. And his second tenure will have ended without much change in perception than his first tenure. Isn't that kind of sad? You know, it's kind of like, oh, D'Angelo Russell sucks and he sucks again. We're, we're not going to be fooled by this guy. And I, I just want to say that I, I just hope fans appreciate this last final push by him because that type of mentality, that type of fight is what you hope that your entire team would embody. And again, my case for maybe the Lakers continuing to run it back and ride the wave with this group with some marginal upgrades is the fact that I think that fight that D'Angelo Russell has showed, I think that bounce back fight is in each and every one of these players. They did it last year, you know? They did it within this season when they were injured as hell at the start of the season and somehow won the IST championship. And so I think it's funny that D'Angelo Russell has sort of become this emotional like leader when when for so long it's just seemed his he's been wishy-washy he's been too cool for school and you know for me even in this season alone i've seen a lot of growth in d'angelo russell and i think you've mentioned it before with rui hachimura but this is why we watch basketball you know this is why we follow certain players journeys day in day out to see this type of progression and growth and i it would just be so disappointing if fans overlooked that fact about d'angelo russell and took it for granted you know because i think he has grown this season it has you know, this this stretch of him to like put all of the, you know, trade rumor clouds above his hanging above his head to the side and just go out there and ball out. That's a sign of growth, you know, and it, it would be. Yeah, I just don't want fans to take that for granted. And, and it will be foolish for the front office not to take into account what that means for the entire team as a whole as we try and make this second half push, because I believe that the team believes that they can bounce back from this. Any last thoughts? I also agree that the, I think the team can bounce back from this and and you know, maybe we'll we've gotten into it so many times but I think one of the big things is just playing the right players. And so I think we have the pieces <laughs> we need. I I think you're right that we're talking about marginal upgrades here with respect to who's the fifth guy like starting next to our the the, the four that should be clearly established as our best four players. Who's the fifth guy? Right, those are the things we should be focusing on. Not like technically is Dejounte Murray incrementally better than D'Angelo to justify using a first round pick. Like these are like such waste of time debates to me. Yeah, I agree. All right, we have gone extra long on this episode. We had a lot to talk about, but overall, like we are hoping, crossing our fingers, that this Boston Celtics win really galvanizes the team, brings them together. Every time we have one of these wins, you just see how much the guys enjoy being together, enjoy cheering each other on, and you hope that they can capture this in a bottle and take it with them the rest of the way. And so hopefully LeBron James and Anthony Davis are back for the New York Knicks game. That should be fun because it's our skill guards and D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves versus the New York Knicks more physical skill guards and Jalen Brunson and Dante DiVincenzo. I'm not sure if you've seen what Dante's done recently, but this dude's putting up like 33 points and nine threes, kind of insane. Um, But yeah, and hopefully Vando doesn't have a serious long-term injury because that would put the Lakers back a couple more steps in terms of ground zero if Vando can't rebound quickly. But yeah, with that said... Fun times, lit times, the Lakers beat the Boston Celtics. Fuck Boston. 
We will catch you guys next time. Trade deadline is next week. Buckle up. Tommy, I will catch you later. Buckle up, buckaroo. (laughs) See ya. Peace. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.